Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. Hello, hello. Happy Wednesday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan, where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, our lives, and so much more, plus fun music in between on Channel Q. Welcome back, everyone. I'm honestly, I'm shocked every time every y'all, you know, come back and listen. I just love it. It's beautiful. It makes me very happy. But can we talk about something? Of course. I, you know, I recently, I moved, uh, boy, I feel like it's been six months now at this point. I don't, I can't even keep up with yeah, your, of course you could, your you personal wouldn't. life. Sure, yeah, it doesn't even catch up. Um, but here's the thing. I have a neighbor who parks awful. I mean, oh, right next to me, worst. sometimes is in my parking space, sometimes isn't. I have a big old little cute little SUV. You know, she's thickums just like your boy here. Mm-hmm. All I'm wondering is, do I leave a nice note or do I just ram and jam her car? I don't think that's a good decision. <laughs> I'm not going to promote that. No, I'm just saying no. it because I find it to be so inconsiderate. <laughs> and I've talked to her. She's actually really sweet. Okay. She's giving me her apartment number. So I that's just hate it. her. I, <laughs> so you fake like her. I hate her at this point because park woman correctly. So here's the thing. I don't think it's bad to say, hey, um, you know, sometimes you kind of park over the line. It makes it hard for me to park because I have a big car. Is there any way you could just be a bit more aware? Or I could leave an anonymous tip. And it's going to be obvious that it's you. No, because sometimes she gets into the other person's so lane as well. So it's either one or so it's, the other. So it could, it, yeah, so it, she might not necessarily think it's me. She could think it's the other person, especially the other person. Her have bad blood, and she thinks I'm just this sweet guy, no, and I'm masking it under you know my actual hate for her. I just hate people no. who don't park right. Don't you hate that? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I feel like I've been one of those people, so I have I, a bit of compassion. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, but I feel like your strategy would work against you because you do it in non she maybe is good friends with that next person and sees them in the morning. Oh, you left me a note? Or like, or she knows that person's writing and yeah. she knows that it's not them and she knows it's you. That's so true. I would just say, I would I would just like knock on her door. Or I just, like, yeah, leave a note or I don't. Next time you see, yeah. see her, say something. I'm going to, you know, see something, say something or just continue to talk behind their back and I might oh, just do that strategy. too. <laughs> You're a good person. I am. Okay, we have a lot coming up. We're highlighting leaders in the LGBTQ plus community. We do that every day here on Channel Q, but especially during Pride. We have the president and CEO of GLAAD, Sarah Kate Ellis, joining us at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. Also, an OnlyFans model running for office. We knew it was going to happen. We're talking more about that later this hour.
But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President Biden announced shots at the shop, another way to push vaccines in communities in need. In the spirit of meeting people where they are, we'll also be working with the Black Coalition Against COVID and other organizations to launch a new initiative called Shots at the Shop. Barbershops, beauty shops are hubs of activity and information in black and brown communities in particular, but in many communities across the nation. Local barbers, stylists, they become key advocates for vaccinations in their communities. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, shots at the shop. I love these, like, you know, uh, it's very, uh, these titles, they have a ring to them. A lot of rhymes happening. Uh, now, the first day of LGBTQ plus Pride Month, Governor Ned Lamont, a Democrat, signs a ceremonial copy of the Connecticut Parentage Act into law. The measure, which was re- officially signed last week and takes effect January 1st, 2022, will make it easier for those who don't share a biological connection with their child to establish parentage. Once in effect, the Connecticut Parentage Act would allow a family and others like them to avoid a uh, potentially lengthy and costly second parent adoption. So it skips the adoption process, which is very interesting. Parentage Act in Connecticut. So congrats on uh, moving that forward. And that was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Lance Bass announced some big news in a very unconventional way. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Of course, you probably know by now that him and his husband uh, announced that they're expecting little ones, uh, a boy and a girl twins. Like, you know, the fraternal wow. twins. So cute. I'm so excited for them. But they crafted a mini horror film trailer for TikTok that ultimately revealed the two are expecting twins. Now, it's a very kind of visual thing, but I thought, why not? Let's play a little bit of it because it's, it's actually hilarious. <laughs> there it is again. There's something in this house. I most certainly feel a presence here. More than one. Who's there? It's okay. It's me. So there's a a lot of jump scares. It's a lot of work. It's literally a horror film trailer. Imagine everything about it. I thought this was so cool and unconventional for them to do it in this. Um, now, here's the thing. The twins are due around Halloween, um, but they're technically expected in early November. But Lance said this. I need them to get here before Halloween because I need them to be Halloween babies. So clearly Halloween is his favorite holiday. Um, he said they have no choice but to love Halloween because I'm obsessed and they're going to be obsessed. You should head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to check out the full TikTok because it's most definitely worth um, checking it out. I mean, the production value on TikToks are just really going up nowadays. Yeah, it's making me feel like mine aren't good enough. Well, sure, I could have told you that. I, to raise the I really could have told you that. Um, <laughs> but that's your T-Report. I got more T-Report stories coming up later in the show, so you better stick around because it's a party. Okay, coming up, Anthony Fauci's pandemic emails have been leaked. What we learned about what life was like at the beginning of the coronavirus crisis. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Freedom of Information Act obtained Fauci's emails from March and April of 2020, showing what was really going down during the early days of the coronavirus crisis. Joining us right now is national health reporter from The Washington Post, Yasmin Abutaleb. Thanks for being here. 
Thanks for having me. Okay, so how did they obtain these emails? Was this like a hack or something? No, it was a Freedom of Information Act request that my colleague and I filed. Um, You know, government officials often have to turn over documents and emails because they do work for the public. Um, So we had filed a Freedom of Information Act request for Dr. Fauci's emails from April 2020, as well as a handful of other top officials from the Trump administration last year. And these were the ones that came back. Interesting. Was there a reason why you all were in? Well, obviously, there was probably the the nature and the moment just wanting to know what he was talking about in that time. But what like brought you to this decision of being like, we need to see what was kind of going on in his mind and, and what was happening in these emails at the time? Well, our thought was for, for all of these top officials who were in the thick of the response and playing leading role, we wanted to understand what information they had at the time that maybe we didn't know publicly or whether there was anything going on behind the scenes that wasn't reported publicly at the time or that they weren't saying. Um, and if we could glean any new information about how the response unfolded based on interactions between officials or notes that they were sending other people, we just wanted to see if there was more to learn about the government's response. Did he seem as nice as he appears on camera in the emails? You know, a lot of times you see the emails and you realize certain things about someone's personality that they don't typically show or it affirms what you already knew. I think it it probably affirms a lot of what we saw. He's very polite and courteous in these emails. He's taking time to respond to people who are strangers with questions, just trying to understand what's safe for them and what's not. And how worried they should be. You know, he's taking time to answer these emails at 1 and 2 a.m. So there's, you don't sense that he's lashing out at people or anything like that in these emails. He's he's polite, he's courteous. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is he's been a government official for 50 years. I think he's well aware that you shouldn't put anything in email that you wouldn't want on the front page of the Washington Post. Yeah, so I guess moving forward, are there any other like emails that you you and your colleagues are going to look into? Like, are are what would be next in this kind of looking back in, at the beginning stages of everything that happened in this pandemic? Well, we had filed FOIAs for a number of the top officials, so we'll wait and see if some of those come back. I think we'll probably you know file some for other officials. I think this was such a historic event in the country that. There is um, a responsibility to try to learn as much as possible about how it unfolded, what happened, and what lessons we can learn from all of it. So I don't anticipate this will be the last trove of emails either we or another news organization obtains or at least asks for. And what were some of the other takeaways that you all got from these emails that perhaps information we didn't know what was happening behind the scenes? I think just the sheer amount of emails he was getting and, and from the types of people he was getting is pretty incredible to see. You know, he's, he's getting emails from people from all walks of life, from all over the world, just asking him, you know, there was one person in the government who asked, you know, a series of really thoughtful questions, including, can you contract COVID from a corpse? What keeps you up at night? There were some lawmakers who wrote him with certain questions. There were just strangers who he took the time to respond to, wondering if it was safe for them to take a domestic flight or to do some other activity. So I think it's indicative of the, the, the point we were at this at this time last year in March and April 2020, where people were so confused and didn't know who they could trust. And a lot of it ended up falling on Dr. Fauci.
Well, yeah, and I'm I'm wondering, are we going to really ever understand uh, from Dr. Fauci's POV the the moments where when Donald Trump was president and he was downplaying everything? It just feels like there is some responsibility when I do look at those moments and those videos at the press conferences where Dr. Fauci and Dr. Deborah were just sitting there and kind of you know they knew the the science and they knew what was happening, but they really weren't holding anyone accountable. Do you think we'll ever kind of find out that POV from him, you know, moving forward, maybe of being like, well, maybe I should have spoke up a little bit earlier, said, you know, spoke against some of the claims that Donald Trump was putting out there into the world so early on. Yeah, I'm not sure if he'll say he should have spoken up earlier. I think he usually says that he um, spoke up and and always spoke what he believed was the truth. So I'm not sure if, if he would say that specifically. But I think this version of history is going to continue to be written in articles and in books. My, my colleague and I, who I did the story with, have a book coming out later this month on the COVID response where we do get into a lot of that. And I think over time, a lot of this will trickle out. And I'm sure at some point, you know, he may want to tell his own story more unfiltered, but it's, it's still a little bit early. It hasn't been that long. So I think it'll still be a little bit of time before we learn everything that was going on and the way various people in the response were internalizing it and processing it and making decisions about how they should react. Yeah, if you could get his emails, can you get Rudy's? Can you get... Yeah, what other emails can you get? <laughs> can you get other folks' emails? Because use, I feel like... <laughs> yeah, the Freedom of Information Act to just get anyone's emails? That's what I'm saying. And any government official... Okay. Wow. So okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That little that little loophole right there. It's okay. We'll figure yes. it out. Thank you so much for joining us. You're so wonderful. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed being on. And that was Yasmin Abutaleb, national health reporter at the Washington Post. Thanks again. Coming up, uh, Donald Trump doesn't like to pull the plug on his own self promotion, as we know, but he did that with one thing recently. We'll tell you what that thing is next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Former President Donald Trump recently created a blog. How old school. But it's been shut down just one month after it started. Well, I mean, wasn't it just his, like, from the desk of Donald Trump? Yep. That was all it was, and it was just needed to be hosted somewhere. And so instead of him creating a website, he used the blogger website, which really threw me back to my high school days when I thought I wanted to be, like, a fashion blogger. I was really stepping into my, like, inner Carrie uh, Bradshaw moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things a lot of bloggers are saying, like, oh, that's just like every other blogger, because how many of us start something, you have that moment of, uh, you know, uh, like that uh, that light bulb moment, and you think you're going to become this huge star talking about something, and then, lo and behold, a month later, you're just like, I don't have the energy to continue this. Well, I have, you know, my blog was very successful. It was uh, the talk oh. of the town of my college. Uh, okay. You know, that's why I came up with the Slay God. Look at that. Thank the you. evolution. It's good to know where it, it came from. It was very successful in, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Well... <laughs> For uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, I'm assuming he started his blog because he's been kicked off every major social media network. And so he thought to himself, well, I'm going to bring the people to me on this old school thing called the blog. So Jason Miller, a senior Trump aide, told CNBC that the platform will not be returning. It was just auxiliary to the broader efforts we have and are working on. 
Okay, so what does that mean? Is this a tease to something else? Yeah, he's planning on his world domination takeover. He's, um, you know, he's coming up. It's kind of like if you think about it, like when Billie Eilish like decided to not wear baggy clothes anymore and then pose on the like cover of like Vogue in like a sexy outfit. Maybe Donald Trump is coming back with his new era. Like it's like a new era of Donald Trump where he's going to be giving us sex appeal. He's going to be giving us progressive values, and he's going to be a completely different person than we knew him. I mean, just in time for Pride. That's the Pride he really needed. Plot twist, he is a homosexual. (laughs) He's coming out right now. (laughs) Uh, You know, yeah, he could be uh, prepping for this new media venture. He's been on Fox and, you know, saying um, that he could be doing other things. He has this social network. But who knows? All we know is from the desk is dead. And... Where will we Who's see him dead? next? From the desk. Oh, you're talking oh about that. That sounded like you were saying something was dead. I was like, what? yeah, the idea. The blog oh. is dead. You just didn't make that clear. You just sounded like it's something. not a something human. On the desk was dead. I just didn't know what you were saying. Yes, uh, but yeah, that that isn't happening. You, who, what was the last person you killed off on air? Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> so there's something you know. Shira is literally like Buffy the Republican Slayer. <laughs> Pew, 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 pew. But I'm also Canadian, so, you know, I'm just trying to help people that, out here. That's that's where people catch you off guard because they think you're going to be sweet and then you're literally coming in and, like, chopping them at the legs. I just can't get the visual out of my head of Donald Trump coming out during Pride Month. Well... Uh, I hope everyone has to live with that because no, I don't. Yeah, I'm kind of. I don't want to have that. In my head. Oh God! What's coming up next? Well, an OnlyFans model is running for office. We'll tell you more on that uh, story next. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We've been covering, you know, we cover TikTok. We also Uh cover all the news around OnlyFans that you need to know here on the show. It seems. I mean, you literally made your your big announcement that you would one day consider doing an OnlyFans on, keep, over the air. I keep seeing these stories, and I, I'm continue to be intrigued. Sure, are you fighting with your headphones right now? Because I can't. <laughs> I have my headphones from my computer connected to the headphones from the radio. They're show. Like your hair, so it feels like the headphones. What in ba- this fight? <laughs> Basically, I'm a mess. <laughs> Hashtag mess. Okay, but back to OnlyFans, sorry. Yeah, so an OnlyFans model in Mexico has come up with a very creative way to kick off her political campaign. Rocio Pino, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that 
So give me some grace and space on that one. Who also goes by the name La Grossera is running on a campaign promise of free boob jobs for all women if she's elected to the country's chamber of deputies this month. Um, and she has a whole plan and purpose to this a whole strategy. Uh, her candidate page stresses that priority should go to reconstruction surgery for women who have suffered from breast cancer. And her goal is to have these operations covered by insurance. Okay, love it. In her slogan, she says, because a woman with uh, T word, can I say that word? No, T- okay. don't say it. Is, I love how I could say boobs, but not the other word. Anyway, um, <laughs> is an empowered woman. And she has made waves with her ads. It shows her posing half naked and pregnant in order to draw attention to the issues she cares about. Love that. Like also providing support for single parents. And she also started OnlyFans because, you know, uh, if you're running for office, you need to raise money. That's true. I mean, how else are you going to do it? So I love this. Like, I just love people that really go against the grain and do things their own way to fight the system. And so, you know, like, I'm always thinking about financial freedom. And so I mm-hmm. give credit to anyone that does stuff that's unique. Well, I mean, yes, this is unique, but I'm hoping one day that it's not looked at like that, right? I, I, I feel like this is a regular job. Sex work is regular. But, and even the way she's doing it is not technically, I guess, Yeah, no, it's that's the thing is, I think we there are people who are performers in that space. And then there's just people who want to... Uh, you know, use themselves as a form of expression, use their bodies. Um, you know, uh, it's an art form in a way. Yeah. And also it is marketing and it is a un- unique marketing tactic. I don't think you need to be in that industry to necessarily use OnlyFans. No, I like, mean, we see celebrities yeah. do it all the time. Celebrities get to join and they're not out there showing their body. They're just giving exclusive content that is like, you know, still aligned with whoever they are. And yeah. my thing is, why can't regular people or people like her do the same thing? Or it's, it's about being provocative and yeah. thinking about what liberation means to you. That's the thing. And so that's where I I think about for myself when I see these stories. Like, okay, well, what does this mean to me? Like, how would I do this if I did it? And the jury's still out on that. You suggested a cooking show, even though I no, think that's hot because, oil and, and nudity no, that, would be weird. <laughs> that's because my boyfriend saw a woman who was also brainstorming this, and she did it as a joke with her friends, and she ended up becoming this like really popular and famous cook on OnlyFans. She does it topless. She doesn't show anything on the bottom. And she's made a whole career out of it. Oh. And I was like, wow, good on her. But then I can't just copy that. Like, what no. is my thing? I hope she's safe because I can only imagine the olive oil just popping and then pop on her skin or her boot. Like, that just sounds like a lot. It sounds like a safety hazard. I mean, have you never cooked naked? No. First of all, see, that's why you can't eat at everybody's house. I don't want to know that. Like, dinner. See, that's why I'm saying I don't know. I have no clue. I'm doing it for my intimate brunch with my <laughs> That you're sharing other. with the whole world. I don't know. Let us know your thoughts. Keep the conversation going at LGT Show Everywhere. We would love to know what you Yeah, think. running for political office and using OnlyFans. Is that taking it too far? Let us know. Not at all. But coming up, Republicans are going all in trying to ban the pride flag. Their latest effort next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the history behind trans youth seeking support in healthcare. That's coming up in 15 minutes. Plus, we're highlighting President and CEO of Glad Sarah Kate Ellis, who's joining our show again today. We love to have her on as we continue to highlight leaders in the LGBTQ plus space during Pride, which is fun because we, here we do it every day on Channel Q. But you know, it's a special time. It's an especially special time. Oh, for sure. 
Uh, but let's get into some what's trending this hour. We've got breaking news according to AJ+. Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's longest-serving leader, has been ousted as prime minister. Rival parties say they have reached a coalition to name far-right nationalist Naftali Bennett, who supports illegal settlements and opposes Palestinian rights, to replace him. So more details as that continues. And as I feel um, the American community is getting more information and more knowledge around what's happening in Israel and Palestine. Uh, We'll continue to cover that here on Let's Go There as well. Now back to what's happening here in our neck of the woods. Republican members of Congress signed a bill that would ban rainbow flags at embassies. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are two of the bill's biggest supporters. No surprise there. The Republican effort is in response to embassies that flew the Black Lives Matter banner and pride flags in previous years. Rainbow flags were mostly banned under the Trump administration and required permission to be flown by the White House. And some requests were reportedly denied. The proposed law would only allow the U.S. and military flags to be flown at embassies and diplomatic facilities. And she said, during my campaign for Congress, this is Taylor Green. I promised that I would always put America first. She said the bill will prevent hate America flags from flying over American embassies. That's why they're doing the bill, not, you know, to ban the L- pride flags and LGBTQ plus community, even though in, in basically do that. Uh, President Biden's State Department has already raised a flag over our embassies that doesn't represent the vast majority of Americans. Okay. Okay. Now, this is exciting news. Food sampling is back. What? I'm talking to all those folks who go to Costco. Yep, they're bringing back sampling stations at 170 of its roughly 550 locations this week after they suspended sample stations 14 months ago because of COVID-19. Also, other places, here's a list of spots in case you're members or you stop by these places. Sam's Club is also bringing back sampling. Uh, And they're relaunching their demo program, Taste and Tips. Okay. Also, have you ever been to Stu Leonard? No. These are other places, you know, maybe different places uh, in the Midwest. And Wegmans also. Okay. So if you frequent these spots, you want a taste of something, you're going to get that again. (laughs) And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. We're talking um, the Demi Lovato. Of course, we are, we love their podcast, uh, 4D with Demi Lovato, right here on the Odyssey app. And I wanted to take this moment because each week they're coming out with new uh, interviews and just new episodes. And of course, this latest episode, Drew Barrymore is a guest, which honestly, jealous much, because I'm obsessed with Drew Barrymore. And um, basically, Drew comes on to talk about the struggles and the learnings that she even experienced with her childhood in the spotlight. And, you know, I, I think that's really where Drew and Demi can really connect, mm-hmm. being childhood stars. And they find this humor and connection and many parallels between their lives. Um, this episode contains um, content surrounding addiction, which could be really triggering for some. So if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, visit uh, samhsa.gov for free information and support. But in the meantime, here is a little bit of that conversation that I know you're going to be excited to listen to. I just wouldn't change a thing. I'm so happy and in mm-hmm. love and 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 scared of my life being any different because this is the one I know and this is the one I loved. And man, I worked on it really hard. And it's so funny. That question is so popular. What would you tell your younger self? I'm like, nothing. She wouldn't have listened. <laughs> <laughs> 
B. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I resent the question. And and C, if everything hadn't happened the way it was and you took one thing out of the mm-hmm. Jenga game. Yeah, I was just going to say Jenga. <laughs> maybe it you wouldn't come out the other side. Well, that's it. Um, I'm, I'm, I love one. First of all, Drew Barrymore and Demi Lovato together just seem like a perfect pairing. And um, mm-hmm. you know, you you might be hearing a little bit soon of more some more Demi Lovato content. Okay. So stick around for that. That's your T report. Um, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com and of course LGT Show everywhere on social media to continue the conversation. And don't forget before we wrap up and head out of here and continue on with the show during Pride Month, Ralph's and Food for are partnering with Channel Q and the Los Angeles LGBT Center to help fill the fridge for homeless LGBT youth and seniors in need. Please text FRIDGE, F-R-I-D-G-E, to 20357 to donate to the Los Angeles Pride Pantry. Donations are being doubled by Ralph's and Food for Less. I mean, $25, guess what, can get an entire week's worth of groceries. So, yeah, Text FRIDGE to 20357 to donate. Thanks so much um, for doing it or even considering it yeah, if you can. Being a good person. Yeah, seriously. And if you can't, you're still a good person. I don't, yeah. You know, I just want to make sure they feel that. Love that. <laughs> Coming up, more on the history behind the relationship between trans youth and the U.S. healthcare system. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Trans youth in the U.S. were seeking treatment decades before today's political battles over access to health care. And here to share more is Jules Gill-Peterson, a trans historian based at the University of Pittsburgh and author of Histories of the Transgender Child. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, now, it's so important that we know about this history. How early did we see trans individuals seeking treatment? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. You know, trans kids, like like trans people of all ages, have been around long, long before there was any kind of medical transition or, or medical diagnosis possible. Um, so really, you know, the, in my research, I looked as far back as there was any kind of medical care associated with, you know, what we now think of as, you know, changing or transitioning gender or sex. And so that really goes back as far as the very beginning of the 20th century. And that far back, we see young people um, making their way to clinics for various different reasons. But really, about as far back as 100 years ago, there's clear evidence of of young people we would think of as trans. Even then, uh, when you're looking at the history, were we seeing kind of doctors or, um, I mean, people kind of speaking out in terms of this? Like, how were they, like, digesting, oh, this child may be trans? Because obviously we didn't have that language back then. So historically, how were they kind of assessing what these children were going through at the time? That's right. Yeah, it's it's actually a, a pretty brutal history. Uh, and in many ways, it mirrors the history of trans people in general. Um, you know, doctors were incredibly uninterested in helping trans youth uh, transition. So they were interested in studying young people because, you know, infants, children, adolescents are still in development. And basically, doctors have this kind of scientific interest. They wanted to study children who are still growing because they thought they were sort of living laboratories of human sex and gender. And they could maybe, if they studied them, figure out what it is that makes someone 
trans or make someone grow into one gender or another. And of course, they never did. But it was this very difficult negotiation because any young person who knew who they were and who wanted to, to benefit from new technologies like surgeries or synthetic hormones, if we're talking in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, would really have to contend really, really transphobic doctors who certainly had none of their patients' best interests at heart. So it was quite a difficult landscape, uh, and, and it remains so for really well well up to the present day. Yeah, yeah, and also, also risk their lives. I feel like that movie, mm. whether you like it or not, who, what was the movie that starred that actor, unfortunately, who played a trans woman, who, and it really showed lo- lives being lost going through transitions really early on? Right, the movie about Lily Elba, the, yes. the Dutch painter. Yeah, that's oh, yes. right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it was a very difficult time period. I mean, it still is. You know, part of the, the challenge of looking at medical history is that very few trans people have ever been able to successfully get access to medicine because it's been organized really against our interests. It's been, you know, doctors and, and scientists have long been interested in studying trans people or people who are born intersex in order to learn more about human gender and sexuality, but not not in order to take care of us. And so really, you know, youth present kind of the most remarkable case of this. I have, for example, letters written by children, you know, from ages 14 to 17, mostly in the 1960s, you know, writing to doctors and explaining, hey, I read your medical research. I read medical journals. I know exactly what it means to be trans. Here's a description of my life. I need your help. Can you explain what it is to my parents? Or could you help me get permission, you know, to protect me from bullying at school? Or could you send me hormones in the mail? And of course, doctors wouldn't do that because anyone under 21, you know, couldn't consent to medical treatment without their parents' permission. But it's, it's really powerful, I think, historically to sit with the testimony of these young people Speaking right to, I mean, imagine being yeah. a kid in the 60s way before the internet, right? Mm-hmm. You got to go to the library and pull out those dusty old medical journals and then take on the task of writing as a young person to a preeminent medical professional who you know is going to be hostile to you from the get-go. So it really is this kind of fierce determination and this kind of resilience that I think, you know, especially with what's going on, you know, and the backlash against trans youth and trans people in this country right now is really inspiring, but also sobering. You know, we're looking at kind of the same sorts of issues that have been fought for decades upon decades. And it's, it's incredible, you know, the resilience and energy that trans youth continue to bring, just like, just like the ones that came before them. Yes. Wow. Amazing. Beautiful way to put it. Jules Gill-Peterson, thank you for being here and for sharing all your knowledge. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Happy Pride. Yes, you too. Happy Pride. Uh, Jules is a trans historian and also the author of Histories of the Transgender Child. Thanks again. Now coming up, join uh, we have the president and CEO of GLAAD joining us, Sarah Kate Ellis, as we talk about leadership during Pride and the evolution of the organization. That's next. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. As we start Pride Month, we are highlighting leaders in the LGBTQ plus community, as we always do. But especially during this month, we have uh, our next guest on, you know, a bunch. But now we're going to actually focus on her specifically, not just on what she's announcing. A press release, president and CEO of Glad Sarah Kate Ellis is back with us. Thanks so much for being here. Oh my goodness! Thanks for having me. Happy Pride! Happy Pride! This Happy is all, Pride. This is all about you. Oh. <laughs> you know, I like to uh, I like to call you literally the queen of the LGBTQ community. Like literally, <laughs> you're like the queen I'm of the gays. Happy to assume that. I love that title. <laughs> well, I want to know as a leader in the space, how has leadership changed since being part of Glad? How has your idea of it changed? Ooh, that's a that's a bold question. I think it it has evolved. You know, I think the the topics and and the issues that have been pressing our community have also evolved over the time. I've been there for seven years now, and when I started, it was really about getting the message out of around marriage equality, um, and how we were going to get you know awareness about that and education and and, and make it so that it was understandable to everyone in America so that we can move that through. And today, I think, um, you know, what we're looking at is really around, you know, the trans community, people of color within our community, um, the non-binary community within our community, and really raising their voices, elevating their profile, um, and educating Americans about who they are. Um, so I think that, you know, in terms of leadership, it changes what you're focused on. It's always about the community. Um, but I think that's really interesting as, as culture, because we focus on culture. As culture changes, so do we. Um, and so it's ever-evolving. Um, but I would say that's been also, I think, it's really a big responsibility, you know. Like, I don't know that I realized doing it. What I came in to do was modernize GLAD. And in my head, that was from a real business perspective, mm. right? Like social media taken off, uh, newspapers were dying, magazines were dead. And it was, how is a media advocacy organization moving in this space? And But what really grabbed me was was that by strengthening the brand and putting it in places and spaces that it hadn't had authority in before, we had more, we had a bigger ability 
to do more for the community. Yeah, because I think about, obviously, I, I love how you t- you say the, the messaging and, and kind of the objective changes, especially when it comes to uplifting trans folks and, and black and brown people uh, in our community, which I could assume, you know, <laughs> being, you know, a, a cis white woman in a leadership position like this, how do you pick and choose when to lend, you know, Glad's voice to lead something or kind of take the seat back and help amplify other organizations, especially like black and like queer black and trans led organizations as well. I I think that's really interesting to kind of think about. Uh, That's a constant thing that we're thinking about. I think, and it's a really simple formula for us. It's where we can have the biggest impact, right? Like where, if, especially if it's playing in the media, um, but, but also when we play in the media, it's really important that it's not just like, I love that you always have me. Um, and you have a very diverse slate, but we oftentimes, I won't go in front of the camera oftentimes because I want to make sure that who is being affected in our community is the person speaking about it. Mm-hmm. So if it's a trans person of color or a gender non-binary person, um, it's an Asian American Pacific Islander person. Um, so we're really thoughtful about who we put in front of the camera so that they're representing the community that is being affected or the particular community. I think that's really, really important. But I also think that we oftentimes, like you said, we use the platform that we have to raise the profile of other organizations. A great example of that is like when COVID hit, and we we were concerned about funding. There's no doubt about that. We're not for profit. But I was really concerned about community centers. Mm -hmm. I just, I saw them being, uh, you know, just ruined across the country. And knowing that our community relies on them um, every day was making me really, really concerned. So we used our ability to wait to, to do a virtual event with a lot of big superstars and raise money specifically for community centers across the country so they could keep their doors open, so that they could keep paying their bills. And those are the things that, that are really important to us as an organization. And what advice do you have for those listening, whether they're younger or they, you know, they could be any of our ages, but who want to get into positions that you are in, leadership positions for the community? Um, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it, honestly. <laughs> I mean that. Um, it's, there's no special powers. Or, <laughs> it, it is hard work dedication and passion and not saying no for an, taking no for an answer in terms of building your, your career. Um, and, and especially for us in the LGBTQ community, we're used to being sidelined um, and sidetracked. And so it's really important that we value ourselves um, and we value the work that we put out there and the contributions that we make. Um, so I would say value yourself value what your contributions are and look fear in the face. You know, I hated public speaking. I still 
quite frankly, can't stand it. I'm not very good. You know, it doesn't come naturally to me, but it's something that I do often and I challenge myself with it and I've had techniques and I've learned and I've developed and I work hard at it. And I'll never be that like master class person who can get up in front of an audience and just, you know, breeze through it. I work really hard at it. Yeah. Um, but that makes it even more important to me because I know I put really a lot of work into it. So don't those things that you fear about maybe what you want to be, I say look them right in the eyes and take them on. Yes. Well, we're constantly inspired by you. I know for sure the the work that you and Glad do, um, it just changes so many lives. And mm-hmm. um, it's honestly, it changes our lives here on the station. So we appreciate the constant work and the, the ability to get stuff done and get people to listen because, honey, they don't always listen, but they listen to you and Glad for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. And happy Pride. Have a great Pride. Thanks so much for you having too. me on. Of course. Hope to see you soon and celebrate. Yes, definitely. That was yes. Pre- <laughs> that would be so fun. That was President and CEO of GLAD, Sarah Kate Ellis. Coming up, a popular Nickelodeon show is getting a reboot, but is it nostalgia enough to grab our attention? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A popular Nickelodeon show that ended in 2012 is coming back. The show is iCarly. Which I loved. Grew up on that show. I know, sure, you've never seen it. No, but I wasn't. I, I mean, it. I knew of it. And I, it, was, it felt like it was based on iJustine, which Justine uh, is this vlogger on YouTube. Just because it says iCarly and iJustine does not mean there's any connection. iJustine does, like, tech stuff. iCarly was yeah, about... That's- like web, like it was a web Wasn't show. She, do, yeah, that's what. Anyway, no, but it was a web show based off of pranks, based off of like little funny challenges. Like so she was playing like a YouTuber. Yeah, she was. I mean, she was literally the original YouTuber. Y- YouTuber on TV. Carly was. Yeah. Okay, the got character, it. not Miranda Cosgrove. Okay. She's just an actress. Well, now Miranda Cosgrove, the original actress who plays Carly, is I don't think she's the original actress because there's so many actresses that came before. What do you mean? Before Carly? No, she was the original. No, the way you said that sounded like she was the first actress ever. You're confusing (laughs) my story here. And two of the original core cast, Jerry Trainer and Nathan Kress, are going to return along with some new additions. But now, uh, you know, I guess in this reboot, it's they're playing adults. They're playing themselves, but as adults, it's not like um, a reboot where it's a new story. It's a continuation. Yes. They just are a few years older. So it seems like a lot of these companies, and this is going to be on Paramount Plus, they're banking on the nostalgia of your generation, Ryan. And do you think that is enough to make a hit show? I'm going to be watching. I'm excited for it. I love iCarly. I loved R. Kylie. I love Miranda Cosgrove. It's good to see her back on television because I'm really not sure what she's been doing besides that. Um, But I think, to be quite honest... I, I'm excited about this show. The interesting thing that I, I want to talk about is there's a new character who's re- who replaced an original character, and she's black. And there was so much racism from fans 
um, who were calling her out and like just saying awful things to her online about, you know, where's Sam, who's the original character? Why'd y'all replace her with this person? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that's more important to me than worrying about kind of the nostalgia of it all because actors of color, actresses of color shouldn't have to endure these types of uh, treatments from fans just because they got, they booked a job and it's a nostalgia thing. Um, But I'm excited to watch it. I don't know. Hollywood is a little bit lazy. They've been existing in this nostalgia world, but this is something I'm excited about. And if you don't want to watch it, just don't watch it. Well, yeah, there's the reboot of Rugrats, SpongeBob. SpongeBob is not rebooted. It's always, a it's, newly announced SpongeBob spinoff. That's that's a spinoff. That's Patrick. That's not a reboot. Okay, Patrick whatever. You're gets bringing his own back show. things. You're bringing, you know, you're you're taking advantage of franchises that people love, which makes sense. And also for these for these uh, apps and platforms, they need a lot of programming, and they want things that they know will get ratings. So I don't know. It makes sense to me. What do you think? Let us know at LGT Show. Will you be watching? But coming up next, Tiffany Haddish's. Big adoption plans have been revealed. That is next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour, uh, we're going to be talking about what... If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medela. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more rings, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Parents can do to support their children before they come out. And what are the ethics of giving back money that doesn't belong to you? I'm excited for that one because we talked about the person who worked at this thrift store or. It was um, not Salvation Army, one of the ones. What's the other one? Goodwill. Goodwill. Wow. And how they found a ton of money, and you said if you, that was you, you wouldn't give it back? No, I wouldn't. Well. And so, uh, you know, we got DMs over it. People were upset that I said that. They, You know, but guess what? It's, you know, reparations. <laughs> hey. We're actually going to be talking more about reparations in California soon on the show. Oh, great. How that's happening. Good to know. How about that for a segue? Only Uh, because I set you up because we're a team. That's what I'm talking about. Bada boom. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell shared his thoughts because we were all really asking and wanting his thoughts on this on the 1619 Project and Critical Race Theory. Criticizing? Um such things as the 1619 Project, which tends to put that date as something uniquely American. Um, There was a lot of slavery going on around the world in in the early 1600s. We fought the Civil War in order to put our original sin behind us. Uh, We passed the Voting Rights Act in 1965 in order to further enfranchise minorities in our... Yeah, so basically, you know, we we did. We did enough. That's what he's saying. So we don't need to know about this in history. We got to put it behind us. You know, if I ever had my chance to be Buffy the the Republican slayer like Shira, if I was to ever take over the mantle... You are. Look at I, you. I, I know. I, I know. 
where I would be going next. Okay. Maybe in the afterlife. <laughs> you and Mitch McConnell. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Now, we've talked about this, too. The cicadas are back, and with them, a warning from the Food and Drug Administration. Don't eat them if you have a seafood allergy. We a, had a guest a cicada on. seafood? Well, we had a guest on that said you could eat them. Yeah, because if you, they were, like, fried. Yeah, but you shouldn't if you have a seafood allergy. The agency tweeted today... We have to say it. Don't eat cicadas if you're allergic to seafood, as these insects share a family relation to shrimp and lobsters. You know, I have a cicada story. I grew up in the South. Cicadas used to attack us all the time when they would pop up out the ground to, you know, cause the apocalypse. And I, one got into my car. One got into my car while I was driving. And I was literally at a stoplight. He wouldn't, I I didn't know what to do. I just stopped in the middle of the road. And literally the cicada created a hole in the backseat of my car because he was trying to get out. You know, cicadas are blind. And so they don't know how to get out. Like they don't know. he's chewing through? I don't know what he was doing, but he kept hitting it. And I literally got out of my car. I'm in the middle of the intersection, by the way, at this point. I I unlocked my uh, back door. He flies out. And then I see a giant hole. Ugh. I had cloth seats. He was able to dig a hole in there. You know, cicadas wow. go into the ground, so I mean, it's a digging skill. That's a true story. That's amazing. It is. It I'm really is. It was the scariest you, moment of my life. Yeah, I'm happy you survived that. You're here right Luckily, now. Luckily, I grew up in a small town, and there wasn't, you know, that much traffic to be stopping in the middle of the intersection because I could have got really bloody yeah, really quick. Don't do what Ryan did. <laughs> Just saying, it could have. It could have been tragic. Uh, but... Wow, you don't know how to segue out of that story, huh? Speaking of cicadas, I want to go to the next story at the same time. I just think it's interesting. Well, one, thank you for sharing and being vulnerable here. (laughs) (laughs) I was just giving a fun moment. I know. That is crazy. I didn't deal with cicadas growing up. I mean, in Montreal. Um, The only reason why the FDA is saying this and giving this warning is because recipes have popped up across the internet, uh, including how to make a, a treat out of these critters. Come on, humans. We ruin everything. I mean, it's not like... this. I feel like that's the same thing of eating like chocolate-covered grasshoppers or chocolate-covered ants. Listen, if we have no choice, good on you. Get creative. You remember when the morning show used to eat bugs? Yep. Like, we don't even get paid enough for them to have been eating <laughs> bugs live on air. I wonder if they regret that. I mean, they did it for the, the ratings. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finally, on what's turning no, this No, it's hour. my turn. Okay, uh, I was gonna. Okay, I was gonna just say that this is not a funny story though. I feel like we're in funny fun mode. Uh, switching gears, Derek Chauvin's lawyers are asking for a lighter sentence wow. and proposed you probation. You say that story instead of more jail time over Chauvin's murder conviction and the death of George Floyd. Chauvin wants the court to consider him a product of a broken system, and they requested a 30-year sentence. He, faces he thinks he's a product next. of a broken yes. system. That was part of the request. He is. He was I, the broken yeah. system. Are you? Is he? He just, he might as well spit in the family of George Floyd's face and all of our faces. Get lock him up and keep him there. Throw away the key. Well, he faces a max. He's probably afraid. Prisoners of, are probably uh, ready to. Yeah. Seventy-five years in prison, but he I wants can't 30. wait. Enjoy. And that was what's turning this hour. What's happening in entertainment? You could have really saved that story. All right, we're going to move on to 
to Tiffany Haddish, um, who is hoping for some girl trips of her own in the future. So guess what? She is on, uh, she's actually starting her process of adoption plans. Uh, She said on Entertainment Tonight that she's on that process now. She said, I'm currently looking and deciding on adopting. First of all, especially after this pandemic, there are so many children left without their parents. It's Foster Care Awareness Month right now, and I think we should all be aware and try to do what we can. My best friend um, is adopted, and she, for I've always said I've wanted to, when I have kids, I want to have, you know, obviously a biological kid, and then I want to adopt a kid, because I think that is so important. My mom was also a foster mother, and so, like, the importance of of that is, is just so um so wonderful and so needed um you know tiffany was in the foster care system herself and she said growing up she has finished the parenting courses that requires to begin the process so she said i really wanted to be a foster parent but because i'm at a certain level of success my lawyer suggests that it's probably best to just adopt and i'm on that process now so she's looking to to adopt an older child which is going to be wonderful i I can't wait uh for her to you know for that to happen and for us to meet whoever her new you know, person is in our life. Wow, that's gonna be. Uh, imagine finding out your mom is Tiffany Haddish. Well, I mean, right? That's gonna be intense. Um, that's your T report. I got more stories coming up next hour. Uh, that is it for me. Well, coming up, we're gonna be talking about ways to support uh, your kid even before you have the conversation uh, with them or before they come out. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It is Pride Month. A reminder, we keep saying that. You should already know that, right? And for those parents listening or those who are future parents, we're going to get into how to support your kids before they officially come out. Because this is something we should all know. Even if you're in the community, it doesn't mean you necessarily know how to talk to kids. Yeah, I hate kids. No. <laughs> I knew it. This is for you. I'm Ray. just joking. No, I love kids and I can't wait to have kids of my own. And I think, you know, you don't ever, especially coming from a queer perspective, I don't think you ever want to um, project any of your own worries on yeah. a child, especially your child, if they are wanting to come out. And so I think this could be a really opportun- like an educational opportunity mm-hmm. for all people exactly. right now. Exactly. Well, Alex Casala is here, today.com editor, to dive into this. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I love that you decided to do uh, this piece. So I guess let's get into the six things that parents can do before their child possibly comes out. And also, I feel like you don't necessarily want to assume like your child is coming out. You know, like, how do you go about you know, doing my that? My grandmother would say, yeah, honey, Ryan had a little sugar in his tank. That's, what, that's how <laughs> yeah. she would describe it. But she owed and black. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the the inspiration for this came because I was, like, literally um, sitting at dinner in, like, Atlantic City on, like, a Friday night in, like, the summer a couple years ago. And me and my friend were just, like, kikiing and having a good time. And there was, like, a table of, like, maybe, like, four middle-aged women also on, like, some girls' trip in Atlantic City. And they just started talking to us. And this one one mom was just like, you know, I'm really pretty sure my son is gay. Mm. Um, but she's like... And I'm like totally okay with it, but I just don't know how to kind of like bridge that divide or that gap. Like, what should I do? And she really was like coming at me and I kind of was like, I don't really know. Um, But we did talk about it. We had a good conversation. So that's kind of how this article really came about was from that conversation and being confronted by somebody who's saying like, I'm 
accepting. I'm excited about this possibility, but I just don't know how to communicate that in an appropriate way. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I think what's interesting is this idea of like, I always wonder why, why do you feel like parents kind of had that nervousness? Like, what, what do you think they're anxious about when they feel like, oh my God, I think my child may be LGBTQ plus you? I'm- well, I think it's, for a lot of people, it's a place that they're just like, they don't know what about, you know what I mean? So it is a lack of education and understanding. And because if you're probably a parent, you're probably not queer, right? <laughs> um, you know, even like that's changing so much. So I think one of the biggest things that I was talking to people was just about like educating yourself and just starting and that's like outside of your child you know so if you do have an inkling or if you are curious about these things like finding out you know googling you know finding resources and at the end of this article that um, we published there's a bunch of links to resources of different organizations that parents can turn to um so i think that is kind of like a really great starting place i also wonder if like that could be for anybody you know even if you don't think your child's necessarily gay you know um just like find out those things for yourself um, because why not, you know? Yeah, because I feel like you don't want to out anyone, including your child, or make assumptions just because of what you think is cliche, you know, gay. Right. And so that's kind of the other thing. It's like not necessarily like the parent broaching the, the topic, but um, one of the things that people can do, which I really like this idea, was like just bringing up the conversation in general and like responding to things that you see in the media. So, you know, it's like, Neil Patrick Harris is on the Tonight Show or like if Little Nas X is performing on Saturday Night Live and like you're watching it with your child, you know, that could just be a good opportunity for you to be like, oh, like, that's cool. You know, like, I, I like what he's doing. You know what I mean? Just like kind of like responding to those things or if it is Pride Month, you know, being like, oh, um, and, you know, there's maybe a little bit of a cheesiness to that. But I also think that like that's just like giving examples to your child to show them that like you're okay with it without necessarily confronting them about their sexuality, just like giving examples to things that you're seeing and right. sort of saying, you know, this is something, I'm, this is something I'm okay with. So one of your, um, kind of advice, uh, the, the list that you kind of gave on uh, today.com is to seek your own network. Now, if I grew up in the South, so a parent who was very, who was very religious, if, you know, she's looking to find her own network, it's not like that's easy for, for, for her to do that. Right. So how do you do that as a parent who doesn't even understand how to navigate this world? Yeah, I mean, it's like PFLAG, which is like the nation's like first and largest organization um, for LGBTQ people is really geared towards parents. So that can be like a place where, you know, people can look to. And there's like local chapters of PFLAG like everywhere. Um, so that is like one place. And also like in a lot of other, in a lot of places, there are community centers. So even somebody that lives outside of Philadelphia um, her daughter just came out and she pinged me a couple of days ago saying, I want to do things for Pride Month with her. What should I do? So I sent her some of like the local Philadelphia organizations. Um, so it's about like just like Googling, you know, and like turning to those, emailing those people, you know, getting in contact with some of those people and like finding out are there support groups? Are there just like, you know, um, groups of people that are advocating for each other. Um, another one, like, so Philadelphia, there's, like, the William Way Community Center. There's also, like, the Attic Youth Center, which is, like, an LGBTQ youth center. But these organizations are popping up all over the country. You know, it's not just in, like, New York or Philadelphia. There are plenty of, 
you know, local chapters of PFLAG or community organizations that are in the South and, you know, all types of communities. Yeah. And lastly, I feel like you don't want to be pushy about it, right? Like a lot of times parents might get excited because they're like, yeah, like I want you to embrace being yourself. But if someone's not ready to do that, you got to kind of relax a bit. Like you don't want to overcompensate. Right. And I do think that also the thing that's really, you know, sexuality and gender are so much more fluid than they've ever been before. And the younger generations especially are um, really like redefining this whole conversation. And, you know, so many people are, you know, identifying somewhere on the spectrum. And some people are like when Jojo Siwa came out, she came out as LGBTQ. You know, she wasn't even she's 18 years old and she's saying, you know, I'm definitely LGBTQ, but I'm not even sure where I am on that spectrum. Um, You know, so I think that the thing that we kind of really end our article with is just like the idea of like really listening to them. And, um, you know, that comes from however they identify, whatever that may mean. They may identify a new way that like people 50 years ago when they came out, they would never identify that way, you know? Um, So it's about like listening to that and also just about, you know, listening to to their experience and letting them lead the conversation. Yes, love that. And it's so important to be sharing it on platforms like uh, Today and Today.com, where this audience is that is uh, curious and gets to have more of that information. So great work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) That was Alex Casala, Today.com editor. Hope to have you back. We always uh, talk about NBC out here as well. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Yes. And I hope night. those sirens went wherever they needed to go, honey. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Come on, break. No, you know, I got, I got to make a joke about it. We all here. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I live in a very rowdy corner of Harlem. So yes, I love like- it. Shout out to Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, now, coming up, have you found money before that wasn't yours? Well, coming up, uh, we're going to be getting into the ethics of giving back money that doesn't belong to you. All right. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. If you just stumbled on money that was, you know, a glitch in the system or not yours, would you give it back? It's a question many ethicists ask. And we're talking to one right now, Kate Paget-Walch, an ethicist at Iowa State University who studies the ethics of finance and debt. And in her published work, she argues that the ethics of borrowing and lending must be reimagined to keep up with changing facts about how debt is financed today. Wow, really interested in getting into that. Kate, thanks for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, So how we look at the ethics around this, has it changed over time? That's what has really interested me me in all this is, you know, I think we have this narrative that we've all been told. We've all learned that when we've got a debt, we absolutely have to repay it. You should sacrifice everything to repay it. Even if you can't, you know, afford to put your food on the table, you need to repay your debt. Mm -hmm. And when you look at where this narrative comes from, this moral kind of idea, what we really have to do is look back to earlier times when debt was really different from how it is today. And I think when we do that and we see that story of the history of it all unfolding, we see that a lot of the assumptions that that's based on just don't really hold today anymore. Yeah, which is interesting. It, it, it feels like you're saying we should modernize our, our thought process, even when it comes to like our, the way we understand finance, <laughs> so like our financial literacy. Is that what you're kind of alluding to? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that we have this kind of like, really, we're stuck in the simple model of finance and debt, which, you know, even 40 years ago is what it looked like. 40 years ago, 
you'd still be going to a lender who would hold on to your you know, mortgage or your, uh, your auto loan or whatever, and you, they would service it and you'd pay them. But that's not what it looks like at all anymore. And you know, we saw that in the financial crisis of 07, 08, but it's even more today where we're dealing with these really large financial companies that we all know don't have our interest in mind. You know, they're not interested. They're not looking to treat us with justice and fairness and integrity. They're looking to make a profit. And yet we keep, we kind of cling to this idea that we're supposed to act with integrity and justice in mind, even though we know we're not being treated that way. And so in terms of finding money, and and you reference a few different cases in your article in the conversation, one was a 911 dispatcher who received um, basically $1.2 million in her account because Charles Schwab mistakenly transferred it to her account because of a software glitch. And she actually ended up using the money. Yeah. And did she get in trouble for it? She did. So she has been charged. So for about a month, so she got the money. They realized the mistake the next day. She was supposed to get just, you know, $80. They figured out the mistake the next day and started trying to get it back from her. (laughs) And she spent a month just ignoring them, refusing to engage. And meanwhile, she basically went on a spending spree. You know, she was buying a house and a car and moving money to the other accounts. Um, And so she has been charged with fraud and theft. You know, Um, that's so unfortunate. So what is the lesson here? Is it, (laughs) is it that obviously like, I think a big money amount of money like that. Yes. Return it. Yeah. What about something like, you know, 10 or a hundred dollars? Right. That's exactly. I think um, this kind of case to me looks like she did do something wrong. And I think it's, it's appropriate that we have laws to protect, you know, when we make mistakes like this. And this that has a long history going back to even ancient Rome, where there were these rules to protect when mistakes were made in, in transactions. But, you know, when we look at a lot of the other cases of people are in today, we've got a lot of debt. We've got financial companies who are not serving, who are not going to return the money if we appeal, right? I say, oh, I made a mistake. Or, you know, there was some mistake and you took too much of my money. You charged me fees I don't deserve. It's really hard to get any comp- any fix for that, Right. And, um, you know, anyone who spent hours or days on the phone trying to get something fixed on their credit report knows exactly how difficult that is. Well, I think Um, a conversation like this really highlights the flaws in the system, right? People wouldn't have to do that if they were able to live a, you know, live a life where they were getting livable wages and were, you know, drowning in debt and thinking of this moment to be like a, a whole thing. Now. We had we talked on this uh, on this show a while ago about a story about a lady. She found a certain amount of money at a Goodwill and she, um, you know, she returned it to the Goodwill folks being like, you know, I found this money in this jacket that while I was thrifting, blah, blah, blah. And that was that. Now, for me. I'd look at that as like, oh, no, that's a blessing. If I'm at Goodwill shopping, I'm shopping for a $2 blouse, then right. and I find $10,000 in, in it, then I'm going to keep that. But, you know, what do you think from an ethical pr- perspective? Because I have people telling me, writing us, DMing me, saying, no, Ryan, that karma would have got you. And I'm just like, no, that was Jesus blessing me. You know, I think the details matter so much. And I, that's one of my... One of the things I don't like when we talk about the ethics of debt and the kind of the ideas that, that most, that's been instilled in most of us, the ideas are really black and white, really cut and dry, as though there's no complexity to it, when in mm. fact there's a whole lot of complexity. So at the Goodwill, I think it matters a lot. If you're a billionaire who finds $2 in the pocket of the coat, yeah, maybe you should you know, give, donate that money to Goodwill or some other organization. But if you're you know, down and out and that money is really valuable to you, that's a different story. So I think the details matter a lot and we shouldn't like oversimplify things. I think that's a tendency we have 
We talk about debt and money. Just oversimplify it. And the way we oversimplify it, it turns out, is always to the advantage of these companies, the financial companies and lenders and so forth. Wow. We oversimplify it in a way that says people need to repay. People are supposed to do this. But, oh, we don't really have to, right? We're just going to continue profiting from overcharging people and so forth. Yeah. I always just think, yeah, I find $10. I look around. I make sure... Like it's no one else's, but mm-hmm. overall, I try to be a good person. Cause I, 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 I would hate if I go back somewhere and then I had by mistake left it and it's already gone. But I if don't it's just cash person. there, that doesn't make you not a bad person for not returning the cash. Now, yeah, if it's somebody's I mean, it, wallet, think, then yeah, for sure, that makes you a bad person. Right. You don't know whose money it was. In the case of Goodwill shopping, of course, you're shopping at a charitable organization. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you believe in Goodwill's mission, yes. that might be a little different than if you're shopping at like a regular company Girl, and somebody... I'll give them, them 5000 of it. I'll give them half. If it was like ten grand, <laughs> I found ten grand. i will give 5000 Take the other 5000 like, Oh my God, I found $5,000 here. Okay. Take it. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, and the sure. amount of money matters, right? All these things, all these details matter so much. It's not black and white. It's not New black. Yeah, it's, it's important to ask yourself these questions. That was Kate... Paget Walsh, an ethicist at Iowa State University. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Now coming up, more on ethics on air. This journalist took her investigative reporting to the next level when doing a story on a swingers club. What went down live on her radio show next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now this story is fascinating, including because we are on air hosts and reporters so I always find it interesting when a reporter uh, does their job a a little bit differently. A Danish journalist conducted an interview uh, while having sex at a swingers club for a radio feature she was doing uh, in, uh, yeah, in Denmark. Basically, she was covering this place called Swingland. It's near Copenhagen earlier this year as part of a report to cover the sex club reopening after COVID-19 restrictions eased in the country. And in the segment, which aired during a Radio 4 morning show in the country in March and has now since been shared on Twitter and it's going viral, the reporter, who is 26, can be heard moaning as she interviews a male club participant while, and it was revealed, the pair were having sex during the report. And so this is one way to... um, you know, get firsthand, up close, and intimate experience with your uh, subject matters. I guess. I mean, it's, it's okay. And we were. I was like, "Are we playing a clip?" No, we're not. We're actually not going to play the clip because uh, it might no, be too it's inappropriate. much. I mean, all you hear is some slapping and moaning. Yeah, but that's inappropriate. You know. Um, here's the thing. I, you know, sometimes when you. Whoever sent her to cover this swingers club, it's their fault. Because how are you going to send her to this sexual place and, you know, the, in the spur of the moment, you want her to talk about a swingers club, but how is she going to accurately report about it if she ain't experiencing it? Well, she says that she wasn't planning on experiencing it. That's what it. I'm saying. I mean, there is, some, there is something called experiential journalism, and she is definitely... Uh, you know, brought it back to life here with her report. Uh, but she was just going to cover it. And she actually got to know some of the guests and they were reticent about being recorded and interviewed. But as they all kind of got to know each other, it seems like they all became part of the story, including her. Uh, and she says she would have simply said no if she'd been approached by a guy who was unsympathetic towards her. She said, I find that the people in the swingers club are much more polite to each other than you are used to in normal clubs or bars. So, girl, wait, the bar is on the floor if all he had to do was be nice to her. 
You just you having sex no, and ruining your meaning job. Meaning, just like I think a lot of people are surprised. I've actually never been to a swingers club or bar, I but know, like, you were about to I speak hear, from experience. No, but like. I've, I have friends that have, and actually, there there's a lot more respect because it's all about consent. There, there are a lot more rules. Actually, when you go to a regular bar, there might be more rudeness because you don't have those types of understanding and consensual rules. I can't relate. I've, I've never done it, but it's on my bucket list. Well, let's... No, we're not going to go together. That's one thing we're going to do. just... How you doing? <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, well, you know, that's uh, that's it. Let us know what you think at LGT Show. Is, is this too much? Is this too hot to handle for a radio report? Should we be doing more um, investigative reporting ourselves here? <laughs> let's go there. <laughs> Sounds like you just invited me to a sex club. <laughs> At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes Queen. And this Yes Queen is brought to you by Ralph's and Food for Less, who are supporting the Los Angeles LGBT Center Pride Pantry with you. You can do this too by texting FRIDGE to 20357. FRIDGE to 20357 to make a donation today. And guess what? Ralph's and Food for Less are doubling your donations. Come on, let's do it together. Uh, but this Yaz Queen goes to Jazz Jennings, who was already a superstar, but she is next leveling that covering Variety's Pride issue this year. This is huge. Yes. I, yeah, I love this for her. Uh, she came into the spotlight on national TV in 2007 as a six-year-old. I cannot believe how long she's been in the media spotlight. Since she came out, trans visibility and representation, as we know, has undergone a massive shift. She says, I'm not the only one who's trying to make a difference in the world. I'm just one person doing what I can to make a difference. And she definitely has. I mean, she's one of the first uh, trans individuals who I interviewed and I got to know. And it's been an honor to see her uh, grow and so beautiful to see her kind of blossom into the young woman she is today. So Jazz Jennings... Congratulations. Yes, Queen. I mean, she's come such a long way, by yes. the way. And if you want to nominate anyone for our Yes Queen of the Day or just recommend a story for us to cover here on Let's Go There, slide into our DMs at LGT Show is where you can find us on social media. And uh, coming up on tomorrow's show, we've got Frankie Grande joining us to talk about his rainbow thon. That's going to be exciting. Yes. And that we are covering all things LGBTQ here. Yes, we are. And representation. Uh, that is tomorrow live on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. If you miss any of our show or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app and search. Let's go there. It's that easy. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's covering harm reduction for addictions. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.